0: Welcome to the Minta Dialogue radio show, lucky show number 13. Mitch Joel is a repeat offender on the show. He's a friend, a source of inspiration, and always with great viewpoints on what's going on in digital media. It was recorded when I was lucky enough to visit my old stomping grounds and the wonderful city of Montreal, Canada, on the 1st of August, 2011. If I've delayed the release, it's thanks to the wonderful August holidays. All the same, I can assure you that the content remains totally fresh. Dialogue radio show where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial and I'm author of the blog TheMindset.com. That's T H E M Y N D S E T where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. So let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. This is Minter Dial of the Minter Dialogue radio show. I'd like to say it's a it's a special Parisian media hack. So I am here with Mitch Joel in uh, Carte, a beautiful restaurant. Uh, we recommend it for a wonderful brunch in uh, downtown Montreal. And uh, so Mitch, just to remind us who you are and, and what you do.
1: Hey, that's Steel. I I My name is Mitch Joel. I'm the president of Twist Image. It's a digital marketing agency, and I've got a blog and podcast and book all called Six Pixels of Separation.
0: And so Mitch, that's, now you have a lot of, a lot of clients and uh, obviously you've done a great job uh, getting them to be digital. When you're talking to a client that's a new client that says, well, I want to get onto the digital, into the digital game, how, how exactly do you compose their social media strategy? How do you go about that?
1: I call our head of strategy and they do it. <laughs> you know, it's... Um, I was just talking to someone the other day about this, that I've become very tired of doing the convincing business. So the first thing is, is I, I tell people I'm not in the convincing business, like come in and tell us like why this is important, usually not the best client for us. So the clients that come to us are traditionally people who have defined budgets, they understand where it fits in their marketing mix, they simply need the outsourced agency model, which is really what we provide. The process for us has changed dramatically over the years. It really used to be about this sort of like looking at the business model and coming with ideas. In the past couple years, our head of strategy has really taken on to look at other areas of the world. And yeah, we're talking about things as uh, dynamic as ethnography and things like that. So we have some pretty different types of characters in our, I think there's about 10 or 11 people in our strategy department now who do this. And I think for us, the net deliverable in, in a good strategy deck is one that not only looks at what the brand should do, but what's happening in the environment. And so the best sort of illustration of that would be we're working with an insurance that co- we're not. Let's say we are working with an insurance company, and they want to sell online. And the traditional question you would get is, "So tell us who is doing it best and what they're doing right." We've sort of noted along the way that that's actually probably not the best way to do it. What we like to do actually is take a look at who is selling best. What are some of the things they do to make themselves the best sellers of whatever it is they sell? Can we then track that back to something relevant in their industry? Or is there a complementary industry, which is sort of the new thing we like looking at, which is complementary industry. So look at maybe other industries that service a general population. Or let's say you're Nike, um, look at uh, people who may be marketing more dynamically to youth or women, depending on what the market segment is. The deliverable for us is ultimately a presentation. The presentation usually is a sort of summation of of where we're at. But at a a 40,000 foot view, it's also a vision. And it usually is in some form of a vision statement, the sort of a sort of point in time that we could say, if we do everything right, we'd want to be known as this. And then it really is driven by the tactics and the deliverables, timelines, budgets and all that sort of what I call the boring stuff. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what we're trying to do though is get to a point where, where we want to really drive a, an internal concept. And what I mean by internal concept is how do you restructure and reorg your organization to best affect this new world? our argument is not because we're a digital agency but it's a digital first posture that brands have to have right like you just can't be like oh like the web is part of our or, or mobile is part of our marketing strategy you know the truth is no matter what you you and I talked about over breakfast if you gave me the inclination of a book of a service, of an app, I'm not going to the retail level or to my, you know, my phone to speak to a sales rep. I'm, my, my digital first posture is go online, go somewhere and see what else I can gather about that. That type of strategy. Yeah,
0: you know, well it's, it's beautiful. Well, certainly, I mean, it may be the easy part, per se, to, con- to consider the strategy. But the, the part that I see as hardest is the reorganization of the people in yeah. And I see that, while not necessarily fun, um, because it's it's quite complex. I, I, think, I think that has to be more and more of a part of the consulta- consultancy work that agency provides. Is that what you're basically
1: saying? Yeah, well, I mean, there's the old trucker saying, if you can't change people, you change people, (laughs) right? And it's like, uh, as as harsh as that sounds, I, 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 um, you know, no country for old men, you know, we live in a world now where if you are tied to very traditional ways of conducting business without a vision of this world, or you look at it with sort of that smirk or the sort of like, oh, that's not our customer, you know, it's a bit of a doom on you because I don't I don't see, when I look three or four years out, and I'm not a fortune teller, but I'm pretty pragmatic, I don't see a world that looks anything like the world one we're currently in or the world we were in from a business and infrastructure. So yeah, I think that if a company says we're interested in becoming more social and we want to embrace social media more, tactics and strategies won't do anything if there's not a, a belief chain within the organization that leads towards that. People talk a lot about, you know, how customer service made Zappos a billion dollar business. Potentially. I actually think it was an internal structure that looked nothing like any other organization before from a retailer shoe selling perspective that put it on a runway that could actually leverage the fact that there's a social world and how it
0: works. Right. And plus in that infrastructure, you're talking about also the communication
1: style and the channel that helped fluidify information. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, you know, a lot of my sort of thinking around that it was derived from WikiLeaks, believe it or not. Not from a, a legal standpoint. Like, you know, my legal feelings about WikiLeaks are very different than my philosophical ones. And my philosophical thoughts of WikiLeaks are that, primarily, we live in a world where businesses and government have made every single attempt to keep every single thing private and secret for no real reason. And so the initial posture that people have is how do you hack that and how do you figure out like why they're doing You know, If you're hiding something, there has to be a reason, that type of logic. If businesses and government had a posture of public and transparency and openness and then actually maintain a level of strict security for the things that needed to be that way, I think the public would have a much better appreciation or, or, or desire to have that. So, it sort of speaks to if a business wants to be social, the the posture can't be, but everything has to be secret and we don't want anything to leave here and we don't want our employees on Facebook and we don't want anyone talking and that doesn't really work. Well, actually, if you know what you want to keep secret, then you don't have to spend your energy trying to keep everything secret. Right. a little bit more
0: uh, focused and contained. So, when you're you're creating a, a social strategy... Do you generally have a, a distance and timeline as to far, how far down you can you can set up an editorial content?
1: Yeah, well I, th- I think the, the level before editorial content is just a sort of sheer tactics, right? What channels are you going to use? What what are the sort of campaigns or initiatives within them, text images, audio, video? Then once you've sort of defined that on that schema, you can start looking at, at the content. Um, I always say that if we do everything right, we'll be, it won't, it'll be too successful for the company. I mean, they won't be able to handle what happens back and it's a, it's a happy slash terrifying problem to have. But the truth is that I, I believe you need an editorial calendar to set structure and set pace and set an organizational expectation. I think the editorial calendar has to be tossed once you're in flow and doing it simply because the people who do it well it's a natural evolution of who they're like I don't need an editorial they, calendar right they start my learn, blog, right, right they
0: start learning how to do it and then take it on from there It has and its everything, own life yeah I sense.
1: mean you know years ago when we first met I had one slide that this, that said everything is content And people used to sort of look at it like, what's he talking about? But, I mean, it is. It's true. I mean, here we are talking. You're like, we should record this. And it becomes content that's shareable with the world. I I just did a a podcast yesterday with Mark Schaefer, who lives in, I think he lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he sent me this really nice email after saying how much he gets out of it and how much he benefits from it. And it's mutual. I mean, when I'm speaking to people who are smart, it inspires new thinking and new ideas and things like that. But what's amazing about it is that these are conversations that we used to just have in isolation and we tend to... Like like emails, one-to-one, separate. Right, and and in my my book I talk a lot about that sort of uh, distribution of tribal knowledge someone comes to work for your company you sort of give them this 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 roadmap of what it is and it can be innocuous things like where's the bathroom and uh, you know this is where your office is and here's how With the funny people right and now we have these internal wikis right we have these platforms where like this tribal knowledge is shared so one is it's not wasteful we're not repeating the same thing over and over again but more importantly what we're actually doing is making all the all of that information content and that content isn't just one way or bi-directional that becomes shareable it becomes upgradable. that becomes becomes um, it becomes three-dimensional and to me the most exciting part about an organization an editorial calendar or anything like that is when it goes from two-dimensional to three-dimensional right editorial calendar it's like two-dimensional it's on an excel sheet tomorrow I'm gonna blog about management done but when you start really getting into it and doing it it becomes three dimensional and you start realizing that oh like here's Mitch I can grab an audio podcast with him and oh there's like shoot some video right and that's to me when content becomes real content that's beautiful. All right.
0: So I'm going to switch into uh, Google Plus and Facebook. So obviously a hot topic. Google Plus seems to have 20 million users already. Facebook at 700. But notwithstanding that, how do you think it's going to play out? Where do you, I mean, if you, I, I was wondering just to give you a couple of thoughts. One is China, neither of them are there. Mobile, un, I would say undecided. How do you think it's going
1: to play? I mean, look, you have to go back a little bit in time. And when people ask about that Twitter's popularity, what I what I usually sort of point to is the fact that Twitter was the first social network that wasn't only good for mobile, that was probably better on mobile than a web experience. And when you have that untethering and it's something that's simple and easy, 140 characters, things like that, you see what happens. It sort of takes off. And so I was a little bit surprised with Google+. I'm a huge Google evangelist. I love the brand. It just... I wrote a blog post called, um, uh, in the age of Dependency, codependency with Facebook. I felt that Twitter was really successful because it was codependent with Facebook. I saw Google Plus as a direct competitor and, and not that Facebook is too big for anybody to take down. You know, For years people said, what company could be bigger than Microsoft and then Google comes along? What company could be bigger than Google and then Apple comes along? I mean, it's just normal for human nature, right? The truth of the matter is the challenge that I think Google Plus will have and Facebook will have, it's not necessarily driven by uh, location. You know, I think that social networks are funny by their very nature. I mean, Google had Orchid, which is tremendously popular in South America and nowhere else, really. Um, I think the challenge Google Plus will have is, is it's not the 20 million that come in because it's exciting and new. The challenge is, is how do those 20 million people get everyone they're connected to to now come over? And when they come over, what's being offered there that made it more valuable than where they already were? Some argue that it's this whole idea of circles and that I can actually you know, put Minter in a certain category and, and, and only connect to people like Minter in that category. I think the average person, 120 connections, I don't know if circles are all that important. I can see them being important for like you know Chris Brogan and Gary Vaynerchuk and Amber Naslin and Maybe to a lesser degree, meeks. But it's also emotional. Um, I don't need circles. I'm happy sharing everything I put online with everybody. It's the way I am, right? It's It's also part of my human nature. Um, and I think part of it is because of my media history. I think a lot of people don't aren't media savvy, and they don't understand that when they put something up, they're broadcasting it to the world. It may be private now, but eventually it could be opened up. It could change. It could shift. Facebook does a lot of that bait and switch to people. If they're not bait and switching; they're evolving, and it's just not to people's liking. So I don't. I wish I could tell you, oh, it's going to be a Google Plus world or a Facebook world. I think there are going to be people who like one platform over the other. I. I have a hard time, I don't want to say can't, because can't's the hard word, I have a hard time imagining a world where people are doing both. Like, can you imagine uploading pictures of your family in two different places? So, to me, it speaks wonders to that sort of unified profile, that unified avatar. I think if we can get closer to a world where I have one profile, it's mitchjoel.com, and I can import that into... I think that would ultimately be the win but the, listen, Uber, the Uber platform. But that doesn't make a great business model for no. any of the other people. So, <clears throat> so one of the, one of the other thoughts I have, whether it's
0: Google or Facebook or whomever, is that there's been a, a concentration around certain platforms. There was a splintering and then there was a concentration. Of course there is re-splintering. But as we've had this concentration, it strikes me as very clearly written on the wall that the cost of acquisition on these bigger concentrated circles is only going to get more and more. So how do you, how fast do you see that happening? And do you think that there's also going to be a similar effect in the social component of acquisition
1: of... Yeah, people? I mean, that's harder to tell, but I mean... Google Plus has spent a bit of time telling people to please not create business profiles yet in brands. You know, obviously, they're working on some sort of smart business platform to make that work. The challenge is the circle then. So now Minter has a circle for brands. And suddenly, those brands are not integrated with my friends and my social network. They're completely isolated in their own world. I'll look at it occasionally because I love Apple, I love Dell... But it's not part of my constant flow as it is in other areas. So while many people laud the circle as like the greatest thing ever for an online social network, and I agree that being able to segment your, your network is very important, what I think businesses fail to realize is that they get all placed into that area. I, you know, Think about your email. You probably have a folder for your e-newsletters. Those aren't your friends. Those aren't your personal files. And it skips my inbox. Right. And those are the things that you filter over there in the hopes of maybe one day when you're on vacation, you'll skim through and print up four or five articles, right? I mean, it's really become this sort of barren wasteland of tumbleweed of brands. So I wouldn't even look at it from a cost per acquisition model. I would look at it more from a, if I were a brand today looking at these new platforms and trying to figure things out, what I would be thinking about is how do, I, how do I really add value without chilling in a very long form hope that people resonate, work and want to be a part of the brand. And I'm not trying to be ambiguous. It's just I don't believe that any of these networks are being set up in a great way to create any form of direct response. I just haven't, I mean, I think Twitter might be the closest to that because, you know, if you are a brand on Twitter, you could blast out a 20% off sale. And if you've got the followers, great. I just think once that content gets relegated to a circle that may not be the sort of main circle on your main sort of feed, that it's going to be a lot harder to strike above the noise, especially in a world where now let's say you're following 20 brands. What does that look like in a feed? It's just, it's almost noise.
0: So, so if I go back to the first uh, statement, which is basically you would subscribe to the belief that cost of doing Google ad, Facebook ad, will inevitably rise in the nearer.
1: Well, you know, I I think any media inventory rises based off of the demand for it. I think what people lose sight of in the digital sphere versus the traditional sphere is the traditional sphere is driven by audience size. The digital sphere is driven by interest, and those are very, very different mindsets that you have to go into because one becomes uh, 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 making your making your brand as findable and as shareable as possible. The other one, the traditional one, is about making your brand present simply because there's a lot of people there.
0: That's true. And at the same time, I, I think it's an unavoidable need to have a, a sufficient critical mass, you know, sharing an interest between five to, totally, you, you know, totally passionate people. You have
1: to be very careful. Like, you know, Sheryl Sandberg spent a lot of time going across countries telling people that, you know, Facebook has a bigger audience than they insert your favorite TV show. And the truth is, Facebook does, but Minter doesn't. Minter has an audience of 120 people. And and what Facebook should be saying is, we're not bigger than the biggest TV show. What we have is millions and millions of people who cumulatively have more interest, activity, etc., etc. So I think the conversation just needs to switch away from... The audience, yeah, I talk about the how many to the who. That's mm-hmm. it's still something that I'm stuck on. You know, B- brands can benefit from how many people. There's nothing. I'm not saying kill, kill your sacred cows and no longer traditional. No, you got to advertise. You got to market. There's just new platform that is just fundamentally different from the way we've traditionally built advertising platforms. And the best way to explain it is... Imagine a world that has been primarily led by advertising, which is what we have, and and what happens is, and I see this on blogs to this day from very smart people, they'll tell brands, startups especially, I see this a lot, like Fred Wilson had a very provocative blog post called Marketing, and he said, uh, you know, the best startups don't market. Uh, Someone once said recently, uh, Google didn't start marketing until the Super Bowl, they're wrong. Google and startups don't just advertise, but they are always marketing. And I think that that's the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift is, one, we need to stop confusing advertising with marketing. Two is we need to elevate. And the elevation, to me, is moving towards a marketing world versus an advertising-driven marketing world. All
0: right, Mitch, uh, thanks again for coming on to the show. I wanted to ask you a last question. So, Twistimage, what, um, what, what is your most uh, proud... Uh, one of the one of the
1: best campaigns you've done that people could go and visit to check out. yeah um, you know, it's it's probably I don't know if it'd be perceived as the most sort of like breakthrough, but the work that the actual work that we're doing with the dairy farmers of Canada don't laugh. Um, Sorry. Yeah, although although you know you look at the got milk stuff in the U.S. And it's pretty profound from a campaign perspective. But again, this is this is a. It's a really interesting challenge. You know, milk is a completely unbranded product. You just buy milk. You don't categorize, right? You don't really look at it. Um, and the work that they're currently trying to do to obviously maintain and grow consumption, which is an important part of our health and our world, et cetera, et cetera, um, it's been really interesting experiences working with them to create sort of real experiences around what would keep, especially young people, interested in the world of Red Bulls and Coca Colas and vitamin waters and things like that. Of how do you make milk part of the interest? And so uh, we're doing this stuff over getaloadomilk.ca. That check it out. It's just a d- different perspective of getting young people interested in milk. And uh, you know, our whole new kick now is this thing called Recharge with Milk post-workout. So instead of having um, an energy Gatorade drink. or an energy drink why not have chocolate milk which is actually substantially better for you from a health standpoint so that's been a lot of fun um, constantly doing a bunch of campaigns with, with TD and a whole bunch of fun things there um, with TV? TD? Yeah, TD is a big bank uh, big bank here in North America and um, just having fun I'll, I'll just follow the blog i always got stuff on my blog also well, that's for sure anyway Mitch uh, thanks again for joining me yeah,
0: it's always a pleasure to hang out with you it's have good and uh, stay in touch you got. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T H E M Y N D S E T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime... Please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.